Good morning. How are we today? Uh, technically, it's it's Palm Sunday, which is traditionally uh, uh, referenced and understood as the 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 Sunday uh, before Easter, when it's when it's uh, kind of celebrated, if you will, and and represents Jesus' entry into Jerusalem uh, in the week leading up to his his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Uh, Palm Sunday is is celebrated as the the entrance of Jesus into his, the last part of his public ministry. And it's marked by praise and celebration of Jesus as King. So it's fitting that, although we're not going to necessarily look at that entry into Jerusalem in the text this morning, it's fitting, uh, and, and where we're at in Psalms uh, 100, into that the idea as we pursue pursue Easter. You can turn there if you'd like, Psalm 100. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up. Looks like Austin and Abigail are helping on this side, and um, and uh, Joy is is coming down this way. Slip your hand up, and they can put a Bible in your hand. It's on page three twenty one in those Bibles. Um, but before we get into the the text, I'd like to ask you a question: How many of you enjoy, and maybe you enjoyed a lot, the the college basketball season that just came to an end? You enjoy the the NCAA tournament. And the championship. Anybody? You can raise your hands. It's okay. Don't be shy. I know you like basketball because you're tall. <laughs> Anybody have a perfect bracket? Or win the, or even just... I know you, no, you didn't because no one, uh, no one from uh, Berkshire Hathaway called you and told you you won a billion dollars, right? Um, anybody win their like office pool or their family bracket challenge? Anybody? Congratulations. I'll ask you. Well, you got last? Wonderful. See, here's the reality that, just think about this for a second, like all the hubbub and excitement, I mean, the, the advertisement, the marketing, the, the everything, the buzz, right? March Madness, people who aren't even basketball fans, college basketball fans, like me, uh, like I, I get excited about it. All the buzz, and, and, and yet then it's over, right? Don't forget, this all happened, like the championship game was last Monday, and yet it feels like it was forever ago. I mean, the, the last-minute shots, right? The buzzer beaters, the, the controversial calls or the controversial non-calls, depending on if your team won or lost in a nail-biter, that rush of emotion and euphoria, it lasts for all of, like, five seconds, right? Short bursts of excitement are not a solution for, for long-term and lasting joy. We all know that. This is just a good example of that, I think, in our, in our culture. And maybe you don't care. Maybe you're like, great, sports analogy, don't care about sports. Not a sportsy sportser. Does anyone remember the weather last Monday? Let's go to another, another picture. Like, I just got like five people who just went... <laughs> Do you remember how, how it felt when you like took off your coat or you rolled up your sleeves and you're like, the sun hurts your eyes? And you're like, yes. Right? That was Monday. I saw like 30 people on their motorcycles. And I thought to myself, like between here and my house, which is just north of here, and I thought, I should probably get my bike out now. It's time. Because in my garage, we have about a zillion bikes and scooters and skateboards and random things. I definitely can't put two cars in our garage. And I've made my piece about that. And, but right uh, off to the side, there's a spot where the snowblower has been all winter because we've needed it. And I thought, well, I, maybe I could move the snowblower to the shed, make room for the bike. It's happening. 
And then they tell me there's going to be a winter blizzard, uh, a, a winter storm warning. And then Thursday hits and snowmageddon begins. And the reality is I look like a genius for not putting my snowblower away. <laughs> I'm like, look how smart I was. I knew this was going to happen. No, I didn't. None of us did. But here we are, 25 days past the official start of spring. And what am I doing on Friday? Snow blowing my driveway. There was just enough gas in the tank to finish. Praise Jesus. So why am I bringing this up? Why am I prolonging our winter PTSD? Here's the point. The point is this. It doesn't matter, really, what it is. But it doesn't take long for our circumstances to change. And it's amazing how much our outward circumstances, what's going on in the world around us, affect how we feel and how we act. It it just takes a moment. A moment of excitement and euphoria and everything now is awesome. Uh, Or a moment of like, is that really the weather report? Are you serious right now? And how quickly it affects how we, how we feel and how we act. And, and we're going to look at that today because I think that's part of what Psalm 100 is getting at. It's a very emotional psalm. It's emotive. There's lots of things going on here. And it's, it's laced with commands. Not just to sing and serve, although they're in here, but to joyfully sing. And, and acts of service and sacrifice with gladness and gratitude. See, I think the Holy Spirit is just as concerned with the motivations for our actions as he is with the actions themselves. So we're going to get underneath to the motives and the true meaning of what worship looks like here. The motives for our singing, the motives for our service. So let's read together. Psalm 100. Um, It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, This is the word of the Lord for us. A psalm... For giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. May the Spirit of God teach us through it that we might bring great glory to God the Father through Jesus Christ our King. Amen. Now, when we're studying God's word, there are some things that help us as the Spirit teaches us to understand, not only in the words themselves, but also in the way that the scriptures are put together. They're inspired in their words and they're inspired in their structure and their organization. And this short psalm has a few interesting components, one of which is the the heading. And that's why I read it when I read the text, a psalm for giving thanks. It's in the Hebrew text. Now, not all psalms have those sorts of headings. The, The heading above Psalm 100 in my Bible says, His steadfast love endures forever. That's commentary. That's not in the original Hebrew. However, here a psalm for giving thanks is. Some psalms have these titles and others don't. This one has this one. And what's unique about a psalm for giving thanks is although there are other psalms which talk about thanksgiving, this is the only one with that particular title. So, 
we're not going to dig into that too much, but save that. That's a helpful reminder, like, hey, we're reading the Word. This is a unique piece. I'm going to save that. Tells us something. But, but more importantly, I think, and more interesting for me in the study this week, is that in these five verses, I think there's a really helpful and clear structure, an organization to the text, which helps us understand it better. So to get at the heart of this text, I think it helps us to look at how it's organized. So first we're going to look at the structure of the psalm a little bit, and then we're going to actually unpack what it says. What it's calling us to do, speaking to our actions, what it's calling us to feel, speaking to our affections and our emotions, and what it's calling us to know, speaking to our beliefs and what is true. What it's calling us to do, what it's calling us to feel, and what it's calling us to know and believe. But first, let's start with the structure that frames out this whole thing. I think it's broken up into four kind of clear sections. Verses 1 and 2 are grouped together, then verse 3, and then verse 4, and then verse 5. Verses 1 and 2 have a series of imperatives. These are command statements. These are action words, right? Verbs. Make. Serve. Come into his presence. These are verbs. And then in verse 3, you have a set of what are called indicative statements. These are things that are already true. These are truth statements. You don't do them. They exist. The Lord is God, it says in verse 3. He made us. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. They're truth statements. And then the pattern repeats. Verse 4, there's a series of imperatives, verbs. Enter, give thanks, bless His name. And if you follow the pattern. Verse 5 follows with indicatives. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. He is faithful to all generations. It's like a statement and then a because. A statement and then a because. These truth statements support the commands. The commands just don't stand out there all by themselves. Do this for no reason. No, no. Do this because... Commands in verses 1 and 2 are supported by the truth about who God is in verse 3 and the truth about who we are. Commands in verse 4 are supported by the truth in verse 5. If Psalm 100 was a, was a building, it, it might look a little bit like this, where the commands are for us to, to see and know and follow, and underneath them, what's the foundation that they're built on are some, some truths that just are. And then right in the middle, verse Three, there's this, it's a command, it's a, it's a verb to know, but it's like, it's passive, it's different than some of the others. There's these things, in order to follow these commands, there's these truths that we must know. So Psalm 100, in both its words and its structure, is telling us something. In order to do the things that God is calling us to do, it's called obedience. And to do them in the way God requires, which we'll get into, joyfully, with thanksgiving, there's some things we must know. I, I think that's the pattern we're getting from this passage. So to address the question of our motivations for worship, our motivations for service and obedience, the psalm is saying this, that right knowing leads to right affections, and right affections lead to joyful actions. And this kind of life, this life of singing and service, brings great glory to God. Right knowing 
leads to right affections, and right affections lead to joyful actions. Puritan Jonathan Edwards uses this word affections, and I like the word affections more than mere feelings. Affections give the the connotation of something that's more lasting than feelings, especially in our modern usage of the word, in our modern day-to-day. Affections are are deep, and, and they influence how we act and what we do. I know that a thesaurus might say you can use them interchangeably, and I might use them a little interchangeably here today, but I also want to draw some distinction. And we see here in this psalm, the type of obedience that brings glory to God are not just actions alone, but right actions that flow from right affections. Now, Psalm 100 does command us, it's calling us to obey, to do some things. And it tells us how to feel about them as we do them. And then it lays out some truths that are the foundation for those things. So let's, let's look at those three questions. What should we do? What are the actions we're being called to in this text? What should we feel while we do them? And what do we need to know as the foundation for these things? So let's look at first. What should we do? There are some really clear commands here in Psalm 100. Just basic to-do list type statements. Make a noise. Serve the Lord. Come into his presence. The the know something, right? We're supposed to know something. Enter his gates, enter his courts, give thanks, bless his name. These are all like things we're called to do. And, and, And these might seem like churchy things. Like if we look at these through the lens of like gathering here on a Sunday, we're like, well, that kind of makes sense. Uh, entering the presence of the Lord, praise, thanksgiving. Singing makes sense in this context. Doesn't make as much context in the grocery line on a Tuesday afternoon, but maybe. These are indeed commands for our corporate worship, but they're also commands for all of life. Now, now why do I say that? Because the Hebrew word translated here in verse 2 for serve is interchangeable for the word worship. Worship refers to both corporate worship, public worship, the, the singing and the prayers and the public reading and teaching of God's word, and it also refers to obedience to God's commands, personal acts of faithfulness by God's people. Uh, Bible scholar Derek Kidner says this, in Hebrew as in English, worship or service is indivisible. It's a word which leaves no gap or choice between worship and work. So these commands, yes, they make sense in this context. Uh, Praise the Lord. Great. But service here in the text is, is indistinguishable from worship here in this context and the work that we do every day. So we read these commands for both worship and work, both Sunday and Monday. Because there's, there's something to be said about worship that happens here when we're together, when we gather. And there's something to be said about worshiping God with our whole lives. And, and I want us to take away from this. These are commands for all of life. We're called to praise the Lord, to, to enter into the, the presence of the Lord. To give thanks to him, to bless his name all the time. Now, you, you might ask, well, what does it actually look like to make a noise to the Lord 
on a Wednesday afternoon at my desk. Not sure about that one. Or, or, or what does it look like to praise and bless the name of the Lord while folding laundry? Or like we were doing yesterday afternoon, I was hitting grounders to a bunch of 10-year-olds playing baseball, practicing baseball, right? Uh, doing your schoolwork. I mean, what does it mean to enter, to come into the presence of the Lord, to bless his name in, in real-life scenarios? Let me give you a practical example. Outside of our dining room window, we have a bird feeder. And my wife uh, works hard during the day when little birds come to that bird feeder to point out to our kids, very intentionally, hey, we can identify that bird. Its beak tells us this. It has these colors. It eats these kinds of foods. You can tell the ones that like the certain kinds of seeds, not the other ones. Oh, that's really interesting. My kids teach me tons of things about birds that I had no clue about. But my wife's very intentional of saying, and don't forget, God made that little bird. The uniqueness of its beak, the way it survives in this like harsh frozen tundra that we live, um, the, the reality that when one of those little birds falls from the sky, that your heavenly father knows and cares. There's an opportunity in the bird at my bird feeder to give praise to God for his glorious creation. A big, a big part of that is, is it doesn't have to be outrageous and grand. It just is purposeful. It doesn't have to be loud. It's just sincere. What does worship look like in your everyday? A big takeaway from this psalm is that these commands do apply to all of life. As a mom, as a dad as a student or a sibling, in your singleness or in your childlessness, in the classroom, in joys and sorrows, these commands for worship are here for all of life. Yes, sing loudly here. I love it when there's like wall of sound singing praises to God here in this context. I sometimes will just stop singing wherever I'm at and listen. If we all did that, then no one would be singing. So don't all do that at one time. But just... Sometimes just stop and listen. And there's something glorious about that shout of praise. But these commands do apply to all of life. And sometimes we tell ourselves that, okay, I understand that. I get it. And I'd like to, but I'm not really feeling it. Do you remember the example I gave when we started about the weather? How quickly did you go from excitement about 60 degrees to anger about a foot of snow? Not miffed, not bummed, not disappointed, but like legitimately mad. I won't make you raise your hands. Maybe I should. <laughs> like you legitimately got mad. Like seriously, this is happening right now. Like circumstances that you cannot control, like the weather. How, how, how much did that affect your emotional and psychological well-being? Even for just a, a moment in time. See, there's not a lot of new information in this psalm. I, I'm not going to tell you anything here. I'm not, we're not giving you any commands. You're like, oh, I've never heard that before. Most of us can give a nod to the command to praise the Lord, to serve the Lord, to, to, to give him praise, to, to give him thanks, to bless him. What's interesting here are the modifiers. 
We're not just commanded to certain things, although we are, but we're commanded to actually feel certain things while we obey, which is how we get to our next point. Not just the things that we're called to do, although we are, but what we should feel. And this is probably the most fascinating part of Psalm 100, as I've been studying it this week. We're not just commanded to do certain things, but we're told to feel certain things while doing them. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. And this is super fascinating to me because feelings are fickle, aren't they? I mean, my feelings, your feelings are pushed around and manipulated by all sorts of things, big and small, both good and bad, right? You've seen this on Facebook. The military mom or dad who like hides behind the catcher's gear or the the whatever, uh, and, and then their, their kid, they show up at their kid's elementary school uh, or, or baseball game, and then they take off the mask, and the kid realizes it's their mom or their dad they haven't seen in months, and they just break down. Everyone know, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you're like, I'm not crying, you're crying, you know? Like, we all know that feeling, and, and what wells up inside of us is this, like, sense of, like, ah, oh, like, good feelings, Someone you don't know, you've never met, you never will meet, post it on Facebook, and you're like, I have feelings about that. And they're nice feelings. And now I'm crying. You all know what I'm talking about. Good feels. And then we get the news report, like, we're going to have 12 to 18 inches of snow now. And you're thinking... Bad feels. Or more than that, you get the phone call that says, you know, the the test results you've been waiting for and you've been anxiously waiting for, they're not good. Or you get the phone call that says, you know, you should probably come visit. There's not a lot more time. Bad feels. Or, by the way, tomorrow's tax day. So if you haven't done your taxes yet, you should do that. That could be good or bad feels for you. I don't know. But maybe you do your taxes and you're like, hey, I get a little more back this year. I can buy two cups of coffee. Right? It doesn't matter whether they're really big things or really small and insignificant things. We're just pushed around all the time by, by, by our circumstances. And the commands here are to act in a specific way with specific feelings. Or perhaps better said, the specific affections. Not just making a noise, but a joyful noise in our praise. Not just serving the Lord, but with gladness, not grumbling. Entering his gates, not entitled, but thankful. Not cursing the name of the Lord, but blessing the name of the Lord. And the question rises to the surface. First thing, as I'm studying this text this week, how can God command our feelings? How can he command our affections? We don't have control over our own... I can do stuff I'm supposed to do, but how how am I supposed to feel stuff I don't feel? And it's okay for us to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with God. I think he can handle it. There are lots of times where you and I don't feel joyful, where our service is more grumbling than glad. I'll admit that. Maybe you came in here burdened. Maybe you're feeling really joyless today. 
And it's okay to be honest. That's a reality. I don't know what's burdening you right now. But I get it. There's a reality to the drudgery of life that doesn't seem to change. There's a reality to the hurts that others level upon us. There's a reality to the effects of sin and brokenness that we, that we see and experience in death and sickness and in pain. There's a reality to the, the effects of sin that we heap on ourselves, causing our own problems. And as creatures, it is true that we are often swayed by all these things, how we feel, and far too much of how we're swayed is due to these circumstances. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but, but how many moms and dads in the room today feel like more often than not, you end up wearing somewhat of a fake smile on a Sunday morning? Already today, you've argued, the two of you, about the same things. You're pretty sure your kid is wearing half of his breakfast. And you yelled, maybe once or twice, in the car on the way here. And now you're here and you just feel awful. Let's sing a song of praise, shall we? Right, Kyle's like, let's sing to Jesus. And you're like, okay. Or maybe there's a room full of people and you just feel utterly alone and you want to be known. You so desperately want to be known. And at the same time, you're like, please don't talk to me because you're just, you're hurting. These might be your reality or or maybe a hundred other things. But can I encourage you this morning that although this might feel like your current reality, it is not your ultimate reality. Hear me, I'm not saying that trials and low points and struggles and doubts aren't real. I don't know what it is for you, but let me just say, they're very real. But they aren't the end. Your feelings aren't ultimate. They are not all that there is. And so you might want to go, okay, okay, get that. Let me ask a follow-up. How do we then do this and not just become fake it till you make it? Right? It might be tempted to hear what I'm saying is, well, we just got to be happy all the time. Put on the mask. And someone says, how are you? Good. God is good. And inside you're like, I hate my life. How are you doing today? I'm hashtag blessed. (laughs) I'm so good. Right? We don't want to appear ungrateful to God for his goodness. We don't want to be, uh, appear, appear just, oh, I don't want to burden other people. So we just fake it. That's not what I'm saying either. But what I am saying is that there is something here. There's, there's a truth about who God is and about who we are in Christ Jesus that anchors us to hope and to joy and to something beyond our circumstances. So we can say with honesty... In the midst of this is hard, God is still good. We'll get into that. God can command our affections because our affections are not tied to circumstances like our feelings tend to be, but they are tied to the truth of who God is and who we are in Christ Jesus. God can command our affections because our affections are not tied to our circumstances. They're they're tied to who God is. They're fixed on God himself, which leads us to our last point, working our way back through. What do we need to know? Jonathan Edwards, uh, in his book, Religious Affections, says this. 
Men will trust in God no further than they know Him. And they cannot be in the exercise of faith in Him one ace further than they have sight of His fullness and faithfulness in exercise. Men will trust in God no further than they know Him. Your affection for God, your trust in Him, is directly proportionate to how much you know Him. Not just what you know about Him, but deep personal knowledge. This is about what we believe. And so Psalm 100 tells us some of the things we need to know as well. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. Verse 3. Can I just remind you this morning... We are not self-made creatures. Our, our, our culture and our history uh, is, is shaped by the idea of the self-made man, if I can use that phrase. Now, don't get me wrong. Hard work, determination, uh, faithful pursuit of, of good priorities are virtuous. But no matter our entrepreneurial drive, we have to understand that ultimately we didn't make ourselves and we don't remake ourselves. Ephesians 2, Paul tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Verse 3 continues, says, We are his people. We are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That's us, by the way. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. You were created in the image of God. And you were designed to know Him. And you were designed to worship Him. And give glory to Him. God knows you. And He loves you. As the shepherd who pursues the lost sheep to bring them back into the fold. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life to rescue you. To recreate you. and To make you his own. This is the simple, foundational bedrock of the gospel. Verse 5, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Let's work this backwards. He is faithful to all generations. That means that even when we are faithless, He is faithful to all of His promises, always. Uh, 2 Timothy tells us that He cannot deny Himself. So even when we are faithless, He is faithful. He cannot not be faithful. Take that, double negative. He cannot not be faithful. And his steadfast love endures forever. When you see this phrase in the English, steadfast love, in, your, in the Old Testament, it's often this Hebrew word, hesed. We've talked about this before a couple times, even in this series, I think. Um, it, hesed is loyal. 
and faithful and consistent and steady love. This is the kind of love God has for his people. Not pushed around by our, our failures and our shortcomings. Like, well, I don't love you now more. I love you less because you've, you're a screw-up, which is how my love tends to operate. That's not what God's love is. His love is steadfast. It's, it's as if he's obligated himself to love us. He's placed the burden and the, the covenant, like, I will love you and then holds to his own obligation. And because he cannot not be faithful in all things, his steadfast love is enduring and patient forever. We've been reading uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible to our kids since Natalie was little. Uh, and, and, And the way that Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author, talks about the love of God. I love this phrase. She says, In Christ, God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. And then the beginning of verse 5. For the Lord is good. Always. Period. God's nature does not change with our circumstances. For the Lord is good. He is always good. And so... These are the sorts of truths we hold onto with faith-filled, white-knuckled, not-letting-go reality. That all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We hold on to that by faith. These are things the psalm is telling us. You've got to know these things. These are the things that, that anchor you, that inform your worship and your work. So when challenges do come, when circumstances do change, when the, when the literal storm system of your life turns and looks at you, and the figurative storm system turns and starts to dump on you, what are you telling yourself? What do you know? When everything else is stripped away, what remains there? What is sure? Do you remember that he is God? That you are not God? Do you remember that he made you? That you are no longer your own, but you've been bought with a price. That in Christ you are pursued. That you are rescued. That God the Father has made you now alive together with Him. That the grace of God that saved you is the grace of God that will sustain you today. That He's enough for you today. And He'll be enough for you tomorrow. I'm not talking about the fake Christian smile and the empty hashtag blessed. I'm not talking about a facade, but these are the things that stir our affections and influence our responses to God. These are the foundations that do not move based on our circumstances. He is always God. He is always good. His love is always steadfast. He is always faithful. These don't change. So these realities turn mere songs 
into joyful praise. Acts of service into grateful service. It turns every circumstance, the good and the bad, into opportunities to thank the Lord for his steadfast love, his faithfulness to us. It's blessing the name of the Lord when he gives and blessing the name of the Lord when he takes away. Psalm 100 is reminding us that knowing these things about who God is and who we are in Christ Jesus, this is the key that leads to deep and lasting affections for Christ that aren't swayed so quickly by the circumstances and the storms. And those affections lead to joyful obedience. And this kind of life of singing and service is the kind of life that I think brings great glory to God and is a testimony to the work of God in and through imperfect children that we are. And that's what we're called to. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are enduring and patient and kind in your love for us. And that at the right time sent Christ Jesus for sinners who weren't seeking you, who weren't longing after God, who were far from you. And in your mercy, rescued, sought out and pursued. As we come to the table, would you remind us of the the glorious truth of the death and resurrection of Christ for us that purchases our salvation and that gives us strength in our weakness. Would you help us to confess and to respond with gratitude and joy? In Christ's name, amen.